This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Welcome to Higher Learning Thought Warriors. Please put your thinking caps on. Is Van Lathan. Rachel Lindsay. Now, listen, before we get started, we have two things to get into before we get started. Two things. One, they're both incredibly serious, incredibly serious. But the first one is I need all the thought warriors out there to really rally around Rachel, Big Rach, uh, my sister in hugs right now, because Rachel just she just had a child's worst nightmare come true. You found out a middle child. Damn, this is what you always thought was the case. Like your parents just told you that they don't want you. And it's so sad. Like your parents, your parents don't want you, Rachel. We love you here. The thought warriors love you. (laughs) One, we're going to have, we're going to stop having pre-talks before we get on this podcast. We're just going to get right into it. Cause somehow you always love to flip what I say and turn it into something else. I'm going to get two. I'm going to give an explanation behind it. I was supposed mm-hmm. to go see my family in Texas this weekend. I live in Florida. As you know, if you watch the news, it's the new epicenter of the coronavirus. My family is a little bit apprehensive about me coming home and flying on a plane knowing that Cases are up so much in Florida. That's all. And being the good child that I am and wanting to be considerate of how my family feels, I said, you know what, fam? That's okay. We'll try again Mm. later. Let's keep it a buck. It hurt a little bit. You cried a little bit. Let's keep it a buck. It hurt a little bit. Man, I'm still a little sensitive. I might shed a tear right now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know what? Seriously, in all seriousness, though, like I applaud your family for being so responsible. Um, I've, number one, I applaud them for being responsible, mm-hmm. very responsible people, taking their health very seriously, taking the health of the community very seriously. And I also res- uh, applaud them for knowing you because they know you out here in these streets. <laughs> no, I'm actually not. And I think that that's what's frustrating is when you're following <laughs> the rules and you're doing it right. All I want to do is see my family. I haven't seen them all year. Mm-hmm. And I can't see them because other people, other knuckleheads are out here walling out. I went to South Beach the other day, okay? Not to party because I had to go pick something up. Right. South Beach was packed. Popping. We got people coming in, 
just out in the streets at the restaurants, uh-huh. no mask, walking down the street. Those are the re- that's the reason that I can't go see my family. So I'm mad. I'm being a rule follower. I'm trying to do the right thing. And people are out here having a good old time, just spreading coronavirus. Do you know we've uh-huh. had back to back cases, five thousand a day, back to back of new cases of corona, twenty seven positivity rate. So that means one in four people at least going in to get tested. One of them, one out of the four has it. That's how wild so, it is out here. Y'all had back-to-back championship days of Corona. Y'all basically like the warriors of Corona. Y'all gonna, y'all done going back-to-back with Corona championships. And by the way, I'll tell you something. <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. I applaud your bravery for even going down to South Beach, knowing how popping it was down there. I didn't know. I didn't know. That's how no. indoors I am. I had right. no idea. Are you worried that you might have contracted secondhand corona? No. Like, no, 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 no. I mean, what did you do? I mean, tell us, I mean, you have to tell us what. No, like I went what, to go get yeah. a rental car. You went to go get a rental car. Did you disinfect the car before you got in? They did. Did they you told wash me. them? No, but he was you, you a brother, so I trust. <laughs> I trust. Oh, there you go. That's such a good <laughs> so, response. You know what I mean? I was just I was like, okay, you know, because he was kind of like, I got you, my sister. You know what the, I, you know what the, you know what he probably did? He probably was going to give you a different car. But when he saw it was you, he <laughs> gave you the car. He disinfected. <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> hey, 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 don't, hey, dog, don't give it a Maxima, bro. Seriously, <laughs> don't give it a Maxima, bro. She need the Kia Soul. I did get I the Cadillac. Oh, you got the cat? Oh, did you know that's disinfected? If that's, that's the first car the brother going to disinfect, they're going to disinfect all the Cadillacs. And all the Sebrings. They still have the Sebring. Do you remember the Chrysler Sebring? I do. I used to want one back in the day. So bad. In high school. Oh, I wanted one. And I, and, or I looked for the boy who was driving the Sebring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can't, you know, I'm not, I didn't look for the boy that was driving the Sebring. But yeah, I could like, it, Sebring was crazy. Now, now, before we get into this podcast, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of movement parts going on in the world. We have to talk about a little family business. Um, what's up? Little family business here. The the Ringer family business. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hot in these Ringer streets. <laughs> um, <laughs> earlier this week, the New York Times released a piece of article. This is why I'll put it. They they released the piece, uh, and in this piece, they talked about. Um, issues, uh, here at the ringer regarding diversity, regarding the, the, the amplification of certain voices, uh, those being black voices, uh, and the fallout from something we've already discussed here on higher learning, um, which was the Ryan Russell podcast that he did with Bill Simmons. Uh, and so, you know, the New York Times piece speaks for itself. You can read that. I'm not going to, you know, sum that up for it for you. Uh, but during this, I guess because of this, should I say, there's been some discussion about how seriously the ringer takes diversity, Bill himself, and how seriously Bill, who is, of course, you guys know, is the head of the ringer takes diversity, uh, and the overall climate here in the company, as far as workplace is concerned for African-American voices. Two things. Well, first thing is this. Number one, I was contacted by the New York Times to be a part of this. Were you I really? I absolutely They didn't was. call me. 
They didn't ask didn't. me. <laughs> they didn't ask me. Now I'm notorious for calling out uh, the, the, the people that I work with. The Grace would have been like, yo, yo, we riding, man. Uh, Should have uh, called me. No. Um, I, I uh, did not talk to the New York Times, not because I've had anything against the gentleman who did it. Thought he was a... Uh, it's very polite when we're on the phone, but the reason why I didn't was because I have just recently got to the ringer and the voices that are, that are here at the company that are asking for diversity. Um, they've been fighting this fight for a long time and I am not aware of the past issues here at the company or the past concerns for people. So I couldn't legitimately and accurately speak to that. Okay. Um, what I will tell you is this. I'm confident that while things in the past have not been uh, as inclusive as people will want them to be, that the future will be brighter than the past was here at the company. And if I was not confident in that, I would not be comfortable working here. Now, that is not me standing in front of any shrapnel for Bill Simmons or for the company or for Spotify or for anyone. Um, what I'm saying is, is that personally here for me, I think, uh, that there's going to be an extra added sort of, uh, priority on diversity here, um, at the ringer. And I am betting my future here that there will be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, Rachel, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, and I going forward would not work for any organization that I did not feel like was committed to increasing diverse voices. And when I say increasing diverse voices, I don't just mean with podcasts or with writing jobs or with anything like that. I mean, having black people, black women, all different types of people in positions of power at the organization. I think you're going to see that. Uh, I think if you don't see that, you'll see extra added animus. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as I'm concerned right now, I can't speak on what was, but I can say that hopefully that's embraced moving forward. And here on Higher Learning, we just don't have the the luxury of being able to run with run from that. If everyone is having a conversation yeah. revolving around that and there are problems in the shop where we work, we have to continuously give you guys our opinions on that as well. I've spoken to um, a lot of different people of color that were people of color. Fuck that. Black people. Yeah, you get mad I've when I say people of color. <laughs> I don't like that shit. I don't know why I just did it. I've talked to a lot of uh, black people at, that work here at The Ringer, and they're frustrated. Um, and if, they, if they've been working here for a long time and they haven't seen the diversity uh, grow like it should in the company. They haven't seen their voices grow like they shouldn't. They should be frustrated. But I think we're at a point here, well, even before the New York Times situation, even before any of that, uh, there were certain things that were happening to kind of, to kind of address it. Bill's been talking to me for two years, trying to get me over here for two years, you know? Um, and that's not to say that hiring me or Bakari or you or Jamil or anyone like that, is answering the questions for people who've already worked here, mm -hmm. but I'm hoping, and once again, staking my future in the company on the fact that those voices would be heard 
and amplified. You pretty much said everything that I would say. I think that mm-hmm. if you're just getting to know Van and I from this podcast, or if you followed us before, you know how we roll at this point. And I think you know that we would never be a part of something that goes against what we stand for. So I wholeheartedly agree every, with everything you said. Um, and the, and the only thing I was going to add too, which you kind of touched on is that there are people, a lot of people, my, my audience thinks that we created this podcast in response to what is happening right now, or maybe even in response to the recent news of, or the ringer being in the recent news. This has been, this has been in the works. We've been talking about this. You've been talking about coming on with the ringer and working with Bill for two years. I'm a little bit less than that. But this is something we've been discussing. This is not a reaction or a response to mm-hmm. what's happening right now in the country. So I just want to put that out there too. But I'm, but yeah. I'm like you. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with the ringer. If this is a family, we're, we're like adopted children. You know, like we're kind of yeah. on the outside. But yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of the ringer. Period. Something being on the outside of your family, something that you know all too, too well about. Like you know what it's like to not really be a part. To have your family kind of like be like, uh, stay over there. No, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it's crazy. No, seriously. I do want to do one thing before, before we leave though. So two of the, two of the guys that I've talked to, and I'm going to leave people out, two of the guys that I've talked to, and I want to put that, I want to mention their names in this part of the podcast. I want to mention the name of Tyler Tynes, who is at Tyler Ricky Tynes on, um, on Twitter. Uh, one thing that can happen here that should happen here is that there are black people at the ringer right now, black employees that are doing fantastic work. Tyler has been doing fantastic work writing and sort of putting this moment uh, that we're in, in America, like on the page, on the screen for the ringer. So he has been covering that. He has been doing that work. I'm going to tell you guys something right now. Uh, Tyler Ricky Tynes, if you follow him right now, we can amplify his voice right now on social media. If you follow Tyler, I'll follow you. Okay. We're doing a follow for a follow. Not just Tyler, but Micah Peters as well. That's my homeboy from down there in Louisiana. That is at Micah Peters underscore on Twitter. Those are two fantastic ringer employees, two brilliant uh, black Americans who are writing up a storm, doing great work for the company. And if you want to uh, help, and you want to amplify people's voices, raise their profiles. Go follow those brothers right now. I'm sure there are other people at the company that are black and I'm missing you. I'm sorry. Those are the two yeah, guys. Yeah, th- there that- are more. Don't make it seem like there's only two. And that's been, I don't know. what the problem I don't know. is. There are know. more. There are. there are. All right. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough of that. Just know that, uh, um, you know. Just have to talk about it. Things are, things are, listen, but it's you a know, tough isn't that the beauty of our podcast? We don't shy what? away from anything. We speak out on things that directly affect the topics of this podcast. So that, like, that's what we do. Yeah. Right. This is on so, point. This is on brand. Support, support black people, support black voices everywhere. And we would do that. And we would ask that anyone that we work with would do the same thing. Now, there is a huge development that happened. In this whole Bubba Wallace situation, this Bubba Wallace thing, we talked about it on the last podcast, Rachel, where uh, there was a noose that was found mm-hmm. um, in a garage that Bubba Wallace <laughs> was using while he was there at Talladega. Okay. Mm-hmm. NASCAR then came out and said it was a disgusting thing that the noose was found. They talked about it. Bubba Wallace responded. 
There was then an FBI investigation into the noose. Turned out that in some sort of way, uh, the noose had always been there. It wasn't specific. The FBI found that there was no one to sort of uh, arrest or charge with a hate crime, that the noose had been there before. This made people want NASCAR to crawfish. Will Kane, being as Will Kane-y as he always is, said that NASCAR should be ashamed of themselves because they jumped the gun before the investigation, assuming that the noose was a racist symbol. Here's the thing. Everyone was willing to be like, yo, this was a misunderstanding. This was this and that. Until today, a picture of the noose itself was released. We're going to show you the picture of the noose right now for the people watching on video. If not, I want you to Google Bubba Wallace garage noose and then tell me what the fuck you see. Right. Rachel, you saw the picture. It's, it's a fucking noose. It's a noose. It's a noose. There, there, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Which is why when, when people were trying to drag Bubba and say that he was trying to make himself a victim and calling him Jesse Smollett and all these things, it's like, do you, did you not hear what Bubba said? It's not like Bubba discovered this. This information was brought to him. To he him. was, somebody saw it. NASCAR, the head of NASCAR, called him while he was at dinner. So obviously, multiple eyes had been on this. The FBI got involved. Obviously, there was enough speculation to look at this image. Look at what they saw, because it wasn't an image. They were looking at it in person to determine Mm -hmm. that this was a noose. Yes. Period. Period. NASCAR officials asked each track to walk their respective garages following Sunday's discovery. This is a quote. Across the 1,684 garage stalls at 29 tracks, NASCAR found only 11 total that had a pulled-down rope tied in a knot and only one noose. And that noose was in garage four, Bubba Wallace. It was a noose. But Van, I thought about you. I don't do that often. I thought, let me explain. When we talked about this, when we talked about this on Monday, you said mm-hmm. that you were glad that this happened because yes. it showed you that we have a long way to go. And mm-hmm. I agreed with you. And mm-hmm. that point was emphasized at the reaction of the NASCAR fans and the public that were ready to drag Bubba Wallace when there was speculation that this was just a pull down rope. Once mm-hmm. again, you give these people an opportunity to show their ass and they do. And that's exactly yeah. what they did to poor Bubba. I watched him on CNN talking. He told poor, he told Don Lemon that he was reading the comments. I felt so sorry for him. Tom was like, bro, you can't read the comments now. But he yeah. just felt so defeated. You know, one day he was high with the whole, everybody, all the drivers and everyone rolling behind him and he was in tears. And then the next day they're dragging him and turning on him because they're accusing him of fabricating this entire story. Huh. And it's just ridiculous. So let's talk about that for a second. So when you when you, when the whole Jesse Smollett thing happened, right? Um, people were saying that listen, if Jesse Smollett lied about that story, then that hurts black people as a whole. It hurts black people. It hurts gay people as a whole. There's not a more intensely racist thing that you can say than that statement. It's very difficult to get more racist in that statement. I'll tell you why. Number one. Even if Justice Millett had lied about that, like 
why should what one person does reflect the believability of an entire race or entire group of people? Like they're not going to investigate the next thing. Police are going to not investigate the next thing. The next time somebody makes it, well, that's their job to investigate it. Their job is to investigate whether or not it's something is a hate crime. If it's not, it's not. So the thing with the Bubba Wallace situation is this. I, I don't think that Bubba Wallace in this moment or anyone that works for his team yeah. need to fabricate anything in order to get more. He's as famous as he's ever been. He's as famous as he ever as he's ever been. It strikes me, and shout out to Bamani Jones for 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 putting right? this out there, that the believability of this entire situation has to do when you put it in context with the history of NASCAR. Yep. You know what I mean? With the like with the history of NASCAR, that that has to do with that, and knowing that there was a woman outside of a race, uh, saying that she was going to teach her grandkids to call people the N word. She said, "I'm going to teach them." She said, like some lady outside of the fly, flying a rebel flag said, I'm going to teach my grandkids to call you a nigga. She's they're raging. They're trying to they're trying to keep the rebel flag, a symbol of white supremacy as part right. of the culture of the sport. So all I'm saying is this. In this time. The, first of all, that thing is a noose. Yeah. Whether, hands or not, down. whether or not the noose was purposely put there or whether or not someone tied something in a noose to form or to, 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 to serve some other function in the garage. And then it went up there. What we have to remember is that Bubba Wallace didn't create the climate that made him believe that was a racist symbol, a symbol of hate and a threat on his life. That climate existed. We're trying to get out of the mode in our brains where mm-hmm. we are reactionary to things. But the reality is us being reactionary to things is a survival mechanism. Right. I see a news. Whoa, danger, danger, danger. Who's coming to kill me? Now, had there not been Emmett Till and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland and anybody else who has been lynched in the history of this country, had we not seen pictures of black men hanging from nooses, mm-hmm. then maybe we wouldn't react that way to a noose. So get off Bubba Wallace's dick. <laughs> But you know what, though? It's not even just Bubba Wallace reacting to it. NASCAR knows NASCAR's history. They know their problematic history with racism, specifically with Talladega. So the fact that they reacted in that way shows that they know how problematic their past is, how they know they have a long way to go. When you have airplanes flying with flags, Confederate flags over the track that say defund NASCAR. Mm. When you're selling out of merchandise, those vendors were saying this is the best they've they've been able to sell emblems or the Confederate flag emblem with all their merchandise on it in years. The fact that you're selling out, you're promoting this Confederate pride and all of this stuff shows how problematic NASCAR is. And it ain't Bubba Wallace that has to show it. It's the head of NASCAR and their reaction to all of this at the same time. Hmm. It's, well, I'm still not going to the racetrack. I support Bubba Wallace from a distance. You wouldn't so catch you, me there. You wouldn't catch you. You feel unsafe at NASCAR race. It, yeah, it's a scary feeling to me. Yeah. I mean, look, I... I I wouldn't go to a NASCAR race because I have no interest in the sport. But look, I think what's happening in the sport as far as the the changing culture is fascinating. It's fascinating for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is that you think that that's always going to be a stronghold 
of certain beliefs. You think NASCAR is going to be that. Um, and this shows that that doesn't necessarily have to be so. There is a part of me that doesn't believe that the problems that we're trying to solve are solvable. I there, can totally see why you would say that. And there, I'm, I, I would tend to agree with you. There's a, there's a part of me that, that, that doesn't think that we're ever going to birth the country that we say we, we, we live in. Cause I, I want everybody to understand something here. Um, the America that you've told existed is a complete and utter lie. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a lie. It doesn't, and I, th- this comes from someone who, when you look at the ideals of the country and when you look at what the com- the, the country aspires to be, uh, those are noble. And that, and as a society, that would be fantastic. And that, and driving towards that goal is what has allowed America, um, to sort of exist the way it has. You know, you've always had people that have risen to the greatness of what the country says that it should be, mm-hmm. uh, from all over the spectrum. Sure. Um, but America is 200 and some odd years old where we say 1775. So I'm not good at math. You know what I mean? Uh, I didn't even try. I might even try, but so we're <laughs> celebrating a hundred years that women have had the right to vote. So for over half the time, women had zero voice to make decisions in a country that is supposed to recognize the achievement and the minds and the uh, contributions of everyone. We're, we're celebrating literally 50 or 60 years of black people having full citizenry. So when I when we say that America is a work in progress, we're not saying that perfecting America is a work of progress. Like we're working hard to build that. And sometimes I don't think we can. Sometimes I'm down about it, but I'm going to be honest with you. Things like what happened in NASCAR the last couple of days, when I saw a real change in the sport, that have been so on the other side of it, that's when the glimmers of hope start to jump in for me. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'll say to that is that I'm like you because I typically am cynical, look at things in a cynical way than I do in a positive way. So I like you think at the end of the day, is anything really going to change? And if it does, it's definitely not happening in our lifetime, right? It's going to happen in another lifetime. But the glimmers of hope that you speak of, the attention that we have of people in a way that we never have before, people speaking and at least attempting to understand things in another way, that's the space that I have to live in. Otherwise, I'm not going to be okay. Mentally, I'm not going to be okay if I don't appreciate or try to appreciate what's happening right now. When you say you're not going to be okay what does not being okay look like? Do you feel like you would, what would you do? I'm angry. I get angry. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast that I'm stuck in a place of being angry with people acting like this all just happened this year. This is all new when we know the struggle that we've been going through since, since we got here. And it frustrates me knowing that 
people are asking questions or saying, I, you know, I, I know people who are like, I don't know why, why I didn't know that. I don't know why. I don't know why you didn't know either. I actually do know why you chose not to understand. You chose to ignore. You chose to stay in your bubble and to live in your world where you are not affected by things the way that we are. You can ignore it. That is your privilege. So when I start thinking in that way, I get mad and I get frustrated and I, and I get to the point where I'm like, I don't want your help. We don't need it. Cause you know what? We haven't had it this long, but then I, Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Your anger is why aren't you okay being angry with it? You do feel like you're angry. Do you not want to be angry about it? I don't want to be angry because I don't think that that's healthy. I, 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 if I stay angry, then I'm, I don't think that I can be in a productive place and I want to be productive with this and I want to take action and I want to move forward. And if I stay in a place of the past, then I, then I can't help things moving forward. So Hmm. I'm trying to have more of a positive outlook on things. Not, not always successful on it. Yeah. So I have re access my anger. What made you do that? Because I think my anger is helpful. Okay. Um, I think one thing that I've done in the past is I've let America take my anger from me to make me more palatable to them. Now, the reason why I say that is because, you know, there was a whole thing with the, you, you're in a room with a bunch of people, right? Yeah. And you're talking about things and you start to get your dander up. You know how Van, I get worked up, you know, yeah. you start to get your dander up. Yeah. Uh, and people start to say that you're emotional, that you're being illogical, that you are in some ways being reactionary to whatever's going on. Try being not, a woman and doing this. I get it. Yeah. I get it. By the way, by the way, as a man, I know I know that as a man, when you're into it with a woman, when you're into it with a woman, the last thing you want to say to her is, yo, relax. Right? Because <laughs> as soon as you say, as soon as you say relax, that's like, yo, it's, oh yeah, that face right there. What you mean relax? You know what you got me going through? Okay. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> uh, uh, um, no. So I think that, um, I sacrificed my anger in order to be considered intelligent, right? Because you're having these situations and they're not mad about it. Like a, like a black man is killed. You know, Trayvon Martin is killed. Mike Brown is killed. They're not upset. They are now arguing the ins and outs of the situation. And they're asking you to do the same uh, so that you can have a logical conversation with it. Here's the thing, though, is that America hasn't earned logic from me. They've invested into my anger and that's what they've earned. Mm. They've earned my anger. That's what they've, that's what they've, that's what they've traded in. So I'm not going to try to be, uh, rational about irrational situations. I'm not going to try to do that. I'm not going to try to be rational about watching a man die screaming out for his mom. Like that's an irrational situation and I'm going to be angry about it. And you're going to get the full brunt of my anger, the, all of it. I think now is the time you can do that because people are going to be very much more hesitant to label you as an angry black man. It's interesting that you say being more palatable and stuff, because when I was the bachelorette, 
I felt I, it was constantly on my mind to not play into the stereotype of being the ang- angry black female, only to ultimately become the angry black female by the time my season ended when mm. I was on stage doing a live show. That's what was labeled against me. People said, oh my gosh, when she was taped, they must have been hiding that. That's who she really is. Somebody asked me today, would I be the same bachelorette today that I was three years ago in light of what's happening? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's a really interesting question because I wouldn't. I knew that there were certain things. Like I remember at one point, these braids that I have right now, I remember I got mm-hmm. braids right after my season was over. I was politely told, maybe you should take your braids out and wear your hair a different way when my season mm-hmm. was over and I was doing press. Mm-hmm. Right now, I would have... No, I would not hold back. I would wear exactly my hair the way I wanted to. I'd be probably more vocal about my season rather than back three years ago. It's not that I wasn't myself. It was, I also understood the audience that I was being in front of. And Mm. I knew that I had to tone certain things down to at least be accepted and presented a certain way. So I, I do understand what you're saying about not holding back on your anger. I think now is the time where we can unapologetically release it. Not that you're saying, not saying that you're doing it because of the times. I think that, you know, this is just who you are, but I think Mm -hmm. now we can fully do it and people actually understand our anger and where we're come from. And so they're not going to call us angry black females. They're going to say, I understand why she's upset and she should be angry. And I'd be angry too, if I look like her and I saw what was happening to my people. I'm going to be angry until there is nothing to be angry about. Honestly, I've never seen you not angry. I'm, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, look, I look, mad I want to see Van. this tone. I want to see this tone down Van. Hey. What does he walk in a room and do? Uh, mad ass Van. But look, angry, but in control, a controlled anger to where I can be useful to get things done and can still make these points. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to get into another topic before we do. Uh, we're going to break. For an ad, and this is a very proud ad that's coming up right now because this is one of my homies, one of my homies, one of my intellectual homeboys is coming to the ringer. So let's hear about it. I'm so excited to introduce the Bakari Sellers podcast in partnership with The Ringer. We're tackling the issues of the day through interviews with high profile guests and conversations with a rotating panel of the country's best and leading thinkers, influencers and writers. You know, I'm not only an attorney and a former elected official. Sometimes you see me on CNN and I'm a new author of a New York Times bestselling book, My Vanishing Country. But now we're introducing the Bakari Sellers podcast, and we're going to cover everything from the 2020 election to sports and culture to the larger movement for racial equality in the United States. We're going to have some of your favorite quarterbacks, some of your favorite politicians, some of your favorite athletes, writers, singers, actors, actresses. The Bakari Sellers podcast will debut on Monday, June 29th. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That was great. Make sure you listen to Bakari. Uh, in terms of political knowledge, Bakari is the guy that I, when I want to know things about politics, Bakari is the guy that I hit up, uh, and he gives me a lot of insight. So when you're listening to that podcast, 
You will be as politically sharp as you need to be. That's a man who's been in those halls with those people. He knows what he's talking about. Can't we should have him on the show. I've never met Picari. You met Andy Cohen though. So I see you're choosing wisely. Um, <laughs> so speaking of politics, um, the police reform bill is being volleyed around in government. Uh, like Gabriel Reese is in the in Capitol Hill. And if you guys don't know who Gabrielle Reese is, she, this whole time, she used to be like this. Remember her? She was like a tall, remember Gabrielle Reese? Who's Gabrielle Remember Reese? the beach? She was a beach volleyball lady. And ah. like, she was a big star. It's so crazy how people can go from Gabrielle Reese. It like Google her right now. She was a big star. She was like a huge star in the beach volleyball languages. And it was like, she was, she was, a, you see her? No, no, no. I'm still looking. She, she was such a big deal that she was a household name for X amount of time. And then now just oh, nobody yeah, knows. She him. totally looks familiar. Yeah. Gabrielle Reese. So that's my volleyball thing makes sense. Anyway, okay. What about her? Uh, no. So it's being volleyed around as if she was on the other end of it. Uh, oh, gotcha. we, we are, we are, uh, and I had to come back to it. We are uh, sort of at an impasse, uh, between what the Democrats want to get passed in terms of uh, police reform and what the Republicans want to get passed as far as what police, as far as police reform. Um, you've been watching this. What is your take? I don't think we're going to get there. Um, so for everyone who's, they're really pretty much on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I don't see them coming to any kind of middle ground because the Democrats want to get rid of qualified immunity protection for police officers that shields them from legal accountability for their misconduct. It's very, very hard to overcome. And they also want a federal ban on chokeholds. The Republicans, on the other hand, want to incentivize the police to get rid of certain things or to enforce certain things. And at the same time, they want to have the database, which I think is something that they agree on. Hmm. I don't see them coming together at all. You've already seen Senator Tim Scott call qualified immunity a poison pill. Mm -hmm. If the Democrats don't let that go, and they shouldn't, we're never going to come to any type of middle ground when it comes to this bill. The Republicans aren't doing anything. What they're doing, what they want, the training, incentivizing, that's already what the police should be doing, right? The only thing I can agree on on their bill is this federal database that it is that they want um, to monitor police conduct. I think the other thing they agree on are the police cams, which the body cams, which mm -hmm. haven't we already done? I mean, I, I, the, 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 the body cams were supposed to save us a couple of years yeah, ago. That, the, like the that happened under the Obama administration. Yeah. I mean, I guess I get frustrated. I don't understand. And I get the uh, Democrats not wanting to let up on what they want in the bill. When you have things like the three North Carolina officers on accidentally caught on camera talking about how they're going to go hunt down black people. These are police officers. When you're mm -hmm. having what happened as we're in the middle of this unrest, what happened with Rayshard Brooks, when you're having all these things still happen at the hands of the police and black people suffering and dying and being lynched in modern in, in modern day in daylight and the police, the Republicans want to say, well, you know what, let's just incentivize the police if they do right. What is that yeah. going to do? How can you say you're serious about police reform? How can Senator Tim Scott say he's disgusted by mm -hmm. what he's seeing, but then have a bill that doesn't hold police accountable? Yeah. And I just, 
I never was really hopeful that on the federal level, we would come to some type of agreement because we just want two different things. It's really going to have to come down to the local levels to get mm. things done. I'm interested in having Senator Tim Scott uh, on higher learning. I put that out there right now. Um, I've actually reached out to a couple of people who know him. I'm interested in having him on higher learning. I'm interested in talking to him. I read a piece uh, in the uh, on the route by Michael Harriet that actually praised Tim Scott's version of the bill. Um, on the route? Tim, on the route. Okay. Absolutely. That actually praised Tim Scott's version of the bill, uh, saying that there were actually ways that we could get to where we're trying to go using his version of things. And that his version is, uh, you know, it's, 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 that it's in some ways a better bill. I am going to admit something right here. Qualified immunity to me is the most, this, it's the simplest way to hold a police officer directly accountable for, for misconduct, right? If you open up police officers to personal suits, uh, now they have skin in the game. If something goes wrong, no one's paying. That's a way that stops somebody else for paying for their mistake. The thing that worries me about what's happening in Washington is that when I say that this is a game of volleyball being played, it's not necessarily the bill that's the ball. It's black people. Hmm. See, okay. we're being, we're being volleyed around Capitol Hill right now because this is a political pissing contest between the left and the right. I'm not saying that I don't think that the the uh, the CBC bill um, is better, uh, but what I'm saying is that they know that once something passes the House, that it dies in the Senate. Yeah, and then they know that even if they got it through the Senate, uh, that most likely 45 would veto. So a lot of what's happening is people doing things for show now. The, the the Democrats don't have a choice. They don't have the votes in the Senate. The Republicans are not going to do anything that significantly defunds or challenges their relationships with police unions. So what I need to know in very plain language from Senator Tim Scott, from Karen Bass, from both of them, is how they think this problem is politically solvable. Now, what I think that you would hear from at least the Democrats is we can solve the problem in November by, yeah. uh, by uh, voting in a new administration from the top, uh, then down ballot that would then give us what we need to pass everything we wanted to pass by majority in the Senate. And then uh, by uh, obviously having the majority in the house, I think, and then having a president who wouldn't veto. I think that's what they'll say. But I want to hold both parties feet to the flame now. I want to make sure that we recognize the moment that we're in now. It, I'm a liberal. I don't, I'm a liberal, died in the wool liberal, right? But I don't belong to a political party. I left the Democrats, uh, a while ago because I don't think the Democrats have enough of a focus on what's going on in the African American community. But I am a liberal. I believe in policies that support and empower people. Um, so I want to know exactly Who's responsible for us not getting what we need? And I want names and I want constituencies. Are you talking about with this bill or are you talking this, about in general? No, with this bill okay. in particular, I think the way that we start to move forward is, for example, Flint, right? 
and this is research that I can do on my own in Flint. Black people drinking dirty water in Flint. The water in Flint's fucked up. We've talked about government. We want, we've talked about all of these different things. We've talked about environmental racism and all of these different issues. What we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to highlight the dude responsible, the lady responsible for the drinking water in Flint. Now, I'm sure there's a, there's a board somewhere yeah. or there's a group of politicians somewhere or a group of public servants somewhere that that's their job. But I need those names. I need people to come out from behind the shadows and the things that are protecting them. Because if we don't get policing reform done, right, if we don't get it through where we need to go, well, we need to know precisely who we need to vote out. Okay, but here's my thing. Here's my thing with that. And talking, going back to the the Justice and Policing Act. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm, 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 I hear what you're saying and I agree with it, but I don't know how you do that because somebody's going to have to give, they're going to have to come to some middle ground because where it stands, they're not even close. They're not close to cut to making Mm -hmm. this bill pass Mm -hmm. in the Senate. So who do you hold accountable for that? How do you pick one person and hold accountable for that? Because if the Democrats, the Democrats aren't asking to defund the police. That's something that you should, this, that, that's not even a part of this bill. It's not about defunding the police. It's about qualified immunity. By the way, I'm not saying that there should be one specific person in any of these places that is responsible for this. I'm saying there are specific people who are responsible. And we know the Mitch McConnells. We know the Tim Scotts. We know these guys, we know who they are, but we also need to know, we need breakdowns and we need to be transparent about why American society isn't getting the healing that it needs. And we have to be very intentional uh, about the way we hold people responsible for that. Now, but, in a lot of places, it's not going to matter to the people that that follow them, but I need to know. But can't you just say that that's, it's the way that the system is? Honestly, because if the Democrats run the House and you know something's going to pass there and then it gets to the Senate, it's going to be shut down. That's mm-hmm. what the problem is. People are just voting strictly on their parties and afraid to step out. And if you continue to vote just based on your party, then nothing's ever going to get done unless yeah. the, unless the Dems run both the House and the Senate or the Republicans right. run run both. So yeah. I don't really know how you how you do so- that. Because everybody knows, okay, well, it'll go past this and then fail here. And then it just mm. dies. And yeah. nobody gets anything I'm, done. Right. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. This is what I'm saying, though. What I'm saying is when we're talking about a budget or we're talking about something else that has. Yeah, uh, you're right. You know what I mean? When we're I talking know. about a budget and we're talking about something to where you might be fiscally liberal, you might be fiscally conservative, you vote party lines. Um, I'm okay with politics as usual in that case. But when we're talking about our lives, I'm not okay with politics as usual. There needs to be some unusual, extraordinary politics that are going on because the politics, the politicians in Washington, the, excuse me, the politicians in Washington, they need to meet the moment. And so that's what I'm saying. They need to meet the moment and anyone anywhere that's not willing to meet the moment now. Oh, we got to know who they are. I agree with you. And I think to answer your question about, or not question, but what you were saying about when it comes to money, like as far as getting these incentive checks and stuff out, and they were able to come to a common ground when it comes to that, that doesn't affect their money, their campaigns, the way it will if they decide to do things that hurt the police force. 
It affects them sure. differently. It, be, it comes down to politics, which again, whether it's politicizing a health issue or politicizing human rights, that's the problem in all of this. You're politicizing what's going on right now to black people in this country at the hands of police. And it shouldn't mm. be that. But unfortunately, yeah. it is. Mm. Uh, look, uh, Russell Simmons, man. <laughs> Russell Simmons is becoming. I can't believe <laughs> you tried to get me to get title last week or on oh, Monday. Wow. <laughs> I thought about you again. I said, oh, damn. Oh, thank goodness I didn't give my money to title. God damn, I get title. My money to title. I listened to title today too, man. So just let you guys know, uh, title got in a little trouble. Title got in, in trouble because title on an episode of drink champs with my boy, Nori, uh, they were talking about black, black lives matter. And the panel was as follows. It was the great, my son. It was the amazing Mark Lamont Hill. It was Nori. It was Bun B, the Houston legend, half of UGK, rest in peace to Pip C. Mm. It was my brother and homie, Talib Kweli, one of the dopest rappers and most co- socially conscious brothers uh, in the history of hip hop. And then it was Russell Simmons. We should say that Mark Lamont Hill says, and of course I believe Mark, that he, of course you believe Mark, that he did not know that Russell Simmons was going to be a part of this panel until Russell Simmons magically appeared on the screen because they started to talk and then Russell jumped in. If you do not know why it's a problem to have Russell Simmons on this panel, we talked about the documentary on the record where Russell Simmons was accused by three different women specifically, but he has over 20 allegations of sexual misconduct. People flipped out on Twitter when they saw that Russell was a part of a Black Lives Matter discussion. What was your response, Rachel? I was one of the people flipping out. I said, Mm. are black men trolling us right now? I just Mm. don't understand in light of everything that's going on. And we have this whole movement behind hashtag say her name. And there's this whole discussion finally about how black women aren't being valued in this society and specifically not just in society as a whole, black men. We've had multiple discussions on this podcast and we just started about black men disrespecting black women, um, Mm -hmm. not honoring them and holding them in regard. And I, I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, I'm sorry. Who's in charge of this? Who went wrong here? Why would anybody want to hear from Russell Simmons? Cause they were talking about the movement. Were they not? Yes, they were. Okay. I think that that's important too. It wasn't like they were having a discussion about the music industry. They were talking about the movement. Black women are a part of this movement. And part of this movement is the fact that we, our voices have not been heard and we have not been seen. And here we go with black men doing it to us again, because not only was it a problem that Russell Simmons was a part of it, it was a problem that there were no black women on this panel. Why -hmm. were our voices not a part of this? Why couldn't we be represented in all of this? Title, you messed up. Wasn't Revolt TV involved as well? Well, I don't know why you're putting it on Revolt. Was Revolt I involved? I could have sworn. No, because when I was looking at this, I oh, thought that they know were what? part oh, of this. Oh, you know what? You know what? I think that Drink Champs comes on Revolt. Thank you. Thank you. Throw Damn. them in there. By the, way, by the way, I had a bad fucking podcast last podcast, man. That's 0 for 2. I defended Revolt 
and I defended title only for revolt and title to fuck up. That's right. Like, that's right. That's right. Next it's times, a, shout out to Puff. It's such a problem. And and the thing is, I saw Mark Lamont Hill um, apologize and say he didn't know, and I mm-hmm. truly believe him. But then I immediately thought. How powerful would it have been that the moment he saw Russell Simmons pop up, he said, you know what? I'm sorry. I got respect for you guys and I appreciate being a part of this panel. But in light of what we're talking about, because he's he I should also say in his apology, he, he said that, that he well. he believes the women that mm-hmm. were in a part of the documentary on the record who are mm-hmm. accusing Russell Simmons of sexually harassing and assaulting them. So. He, wait, he said, why didn't he speak out? Oh, did I miss well, that no, part? No, he, no, no. He said, he asked, he actually addressed that. He said uh, he chose comfortability in the moment. Thank you. Um, other than his conviction. He said, he said something to that point on Twitter. And that's the problem because what I find so disturbing is we're sitting right here in this moment and we're talking about how we've had 400 years of oppression of uh, against blacks in this country and we're talking about how change won't happen overnight because of all these years that we've been oppressed but why aren't we acknowledging the fact that and we we did we talked about this on the podcast before that in the music industry specifically since that's who these people were on this panel and then also talking about Russell Simmons that they have been problematic at the way that they define black women And I don't understand why they can't, you can talk about what white people are doing against blacks, but you can't see your own fault in how you are problematic against black women. And there were, they were doing it in two ways with this panel by not having our voices on it and then bringing somebody like Russell Simmons in light of all that's surrounding him on as if we're just going to ignore it, as if we're just going to gloss over it and excuse it. That's what it felt like. You know, I'm not, right. you know, people can believe what these accusations are or not. But in light of what's going on, you couldn't find anybody else to come on any yeah. other voice. Mm. Uh, we should say uh, also, just in full disclosure, that the that all of this was sort of uh, recorded the same day that Russell had done the Breakfast Club interview. So this is a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a couple of weeks ago. Wait, I'm wait, not wait, sure wait, wait. What? He recorded. Yeah. This was pre-recorded. This was so you a couple saw of weeks ago. the backlash from the Breakfast Club, and Uh-oh. you still put this out. Talk your out? shit, talk your shit, Big Rach. <laughs> I am floored. I know at this point they've removed Russell Simmons from from the whatever it was the recording, but you yeah. knew it was wrong. You knew people were upset. You <sighs> saw the backlash from the Breakfast Club. You saw these women who were accusing Russell Simmons speak out. You saw the black community surround them. And even past that, this this movement of say her name and represent and uplift black women has been out here. And you still thought it was smart for you to put this out here. You had time to remove it and you didn't, which shows even more how much you don't you don't care. Until you're criticized, mm. you don't care, which is very similar to what's happening in the bigger part of this movement. White people are now, their eyes are open to the problematic way that they've treated us in this country. They're, they're acting like it just happened when it's been here for years. They, they've been wrong. Black men have been wrong in the way that they've treated us. And you now know it. It's a discussion we're having. And you still decided to upload that and put that out there. I'm floored. I can, mm. I am Floored. You shouldn't even told me that. 
You should have told me that. I thought you knew. They will not I, get I, my I, membership. Oh you, my! You're not gonna God. join Title. Damn. You, I gotta. You know, it's oh so. It's so. It's so hard. It's so hard being on the other side of it. I agree with everything that you're saying, <laughs> but every time you say black man, black man, it cuts. It hurts. Cause I just be out here doing my best, and it, it's like it. I understand why brothers react the way that they do. It takes so much in you to stand in that moment and accept that criticism. It like it, it, you, you have to, right? You have to because accepting that criticism helps you hold your homies accountable. It helps you hold yourself accountable. It helps you kind of. Like it, my skin is tingling right now every time I I'm challenged about what it is that I'm doing or every time there's something in your brain. Right. That because of everything that you've been through. After 40 years of being a black man, right. There's something in your brain that whenever someone criticizes black men using that term that you go right into fight or flight mode. I get it. You go right into, oh, we, we talking about us. Let's get it. And it doesn't matter what it is. Like I've, I've defended black men in the past who've done stupid shit, right? Nigga get caught with like 19 pistols driving <laughs> in a school zone. And I'm like, you don't know how he grew up. He needed 19 pistols because maybe he had to shoot 19 people and he wanted to alternate guns. I was like, you don't know. I've been so conditioned to do this. That to not do it when you know that doing it is destructive or not the lick is fucking hard. It just, it really is. And I think it's crazy because you have to want to not have that reaction. And I get it. it and it's, it's, it's it, like, even when you're sitting there, I'm like, damn. And it's, it's, it's mixed because part of it is like, I know she ain't talking to me. Then part of it is like, she's not talking to you. Then part of it is, yeah, you're part of it. She's talking to you. So, um, and the point that you just made about title is actually one I hadn't thought about. <laughs> uh, it was recorded. Uh, the, the reason, the way that I know that it was recorded a couple of weeks back is because Mark said that it was. And if you watch the interview, which I did, uh, it said Russell says that that same day he had spoken to Charlemagne. Uh, so that was the same day he had done the Breakfast Club interview. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I don't either for us to get it. And it's like I don't know when you have Revolt, which is Diddy. You got Title Jay Z. You got the Breakfast Club. You got Charlemagne, and it's just like these are people who are influential in the black community mm -hmm. who are affecting this next generation. And by you giving Russell Simmons a platform, it's as if you're standing behind him rather than supporting and uplifting black women. They feel neglected. They feel like they're not heard. And I don't know what it's going to take. I wish someone, someone would speak out. I'm glad Mark Lamont Hill did, but it's almost one of those too little, too late. Like, you know, when you, when you saw him pop up, you were sitting there like, this is not okay. And I just, he can't was, he said, he says that he was, um, he was texting one of the producers. And I just, I just, I just kept thinking, my God, it would have been so powerful if he would have said something. That was your moment to stand up.
and speak for this. Like while we're talking about the movement, let's talk about our black women. Did nobody look around and say, we need the voice, the representation of a black woman on this. We're affected by Uh, this too. That was said. I think Mark said it uh, at before everything signed off. He didn't address Russell directly, but he did say the next time we do one of these, we have to have some black women on the panel. So he did say, that much. And listen, Mark, Mark Lamar Hill is a good brother. Oh, I, I, I'm a fan. I, yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent a fan. Mark, Mark Lamar Hill is a good brother. I, I think the, the more troubling thing is, um, us not wanting to part out, cut out part of the cancer to like heal the wound. Uh, and that's look, anybody that would have Russell Simmons on to specifically address the allegations made against him, I don't have an issue with that. Allegations were made. He should be able to to to, to have his say as well. Th- those interviews get done every day. Um, but I, I don't I, I think that if we pretend like everything that's gone on with him and that went on uh in his shop in the nineties is business as usual, then we're gonna damn or curse another generation to that same business. Van, we're not, we're not going to learn anything. The so, irony of having a, a panel to talk about the need for change. Yet you have somebody on the panel who's part of the problem. How can we be taught? You talk about one problem and then you got another person who's part of the problem on the panel. It's, it, it has to be acknowledged what's happening with black women has to be acknowledged and recognized by the movers and shakers in the industry first before we can even start to unlearn this problematic behavior. Yep. We're, we're going to need to see leadership, very clear leadership from the top. And not everybody going to be able to get on the boat. Um, that's just the way that it goes. Now, as black people, we shouldn't be getting on no boats. We got on the boat one time and <laughs> fucked us up. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Oh man, that whole little thing bummed me out, man. I just want to believe that. No, it no, wasn't, no, 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 it no, wasn't. no, 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 it's not, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, it's not, you, you didn't bum me out. I just want us to feel better. Uh, it's not, it's not, uh, it's, it's no, you, do you, do you, that was you talking your shit in its grand glory and it's such truth and it has to get out there. I just want, I just want them to feel better, man. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it, I just, I don't understand how that left. The whatever the the meeting, the strategy, how that that plan came to fruition. It just shows how tone deaf you are as to what's happening that you let something like this come about. That's how I feel. And I just thought, what is it going to take for people to speak up and speak out? The silence is deafening. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so statues getting torn down, names being changed. Uh. In America, this this reckoning that we're in. Reckoning, I like that word. So reckoning. This reckoning that we're in is stretching to every part of everything. Shout out to Gary Chambers down there in Baton Rouge, my homeboy Gary, who uh, uh Gary Chambers and Walter McLaughlin. So Gary Chambers is a guy I've known for a couple of years. Um, Gary ran for some public offices in a couple of days. We raised some money for him. Uh, excuse me, a couple of couple of months ago, maybe like last year, maybe 2018, we raised some money for him. Uh, but Gary has finally got um, his shine on down there. They got the name of Robert E. Lee High changed. And uh, uh, Gary went viral calling out Connie. Um, Connie, love, just, just, just doing her daily shopping. Just doing her daily <laughs> shopping. 
Uh, so fuck Connie and big up to Gary, big up to Walter Gino McLaughlin, who also is a graduate of Lehigh. They got the name of Lehigh changed. Question for you. They're talking about maybe changing the name, excuse me, not changing the name of, but changing the Star Spangled Banner. That is a racist slave song. You guys do your own, do your own, do your own research. Don't, when I say something like that, a lot of people are getting upset. Oh, Vans said the Star Spangled Banner is a slave song. Go do your own research on the Star Spangled Banner and see if the song talks about in verses that have been removed that we don't sing uh, slavery and freedom and all of that stuff like that. You don't even have to do research. Look at the time that it was written. Okay, think of fine. the mindset of people when they fine. when that was written. You know what I mean? Like well, just I'm like fine. use your common sense, but also go research. But I'm just saying. <laughs> fine. So, question for you: Is there a point to you where the changing of the names and the sort of ripping of the statues down? Do you have a line? Is there a yes. point to you where you do? Yes. Star Spangled Banner is not the line. So change, That's not the change, line. change the song. What's the line? So I was watching The View and they were having this discussion and Megan McCain was making the point, well, okay, well, if we're going to start, she was saying that she's a collector of, you know, she's got, I believe it was Theodore Roosevelt. She's got pictures of him and they collect, I don't know what it was, but they have some of the stuff that's getting torn down. She and her husband collect this and they have this type of art in their house. And she was saying, if we're going to do this, then why are we stopping here? We need to change the name of Yale because it's named after um, a, a prominent slave. I shouldn't say prominent, but just an infamous slave. slave I, saw, owner. I saw this clip. I okay. saw this clip for, for the people who didn't. And then she also talks about uh, New York. We need to change the name of New York because it's named after the Duke of York, and and he was a slave trader. So that to me is where you draw the line. I don't think you should change the name of the city of New York or the institution of Yale. These statues that statues that are coming down and that are being torn down is because of what that person represented, who that person was in history and what they did. They are only that person. The city of New York has taken on a completely different meaning. It might have been named after the Duke of York, but now it is a melting pot. It has this culture. It stands for something different. It's taken a life of its own and is representing something else in history, the city of New York. Same thing with Yale. I didn't even know about the full name of Yale, but Yale is an institution. It has taken on its own life. I think that when the name takes on something different, I think that's where you draw the line, changing the name of a city, changing the name of an institution that's been around for so long. But when you have these Confederate statues or these um, these army facilities named after these people, that is all they represent. They were known for being either a traitor, they were known for being a racist, a slave owner, mm. a, a master in a, such a brutal way. That is their history and that's all they represent. It's got to go. You know, mm. if you're walking past, I saw this today too, if you're, uh, Willie Geist was talking about this on Morning Joe. If your child, you're walking with your child and you pass a statue of Robert E. Lee and that your child says, who is this? There's only one way to describe who he is as mm-hmm. a traitor, as a racist. That's not how you would describe the city of New York. That's not how you mm. would describe Yale. So I feel like there is a line to be drawn there when it has a whole nother meaning. But these figures, that's all they are. They're despicable. They're disgusting. They 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 stand for nothing and represent nothing but hate. So Megan McCain is not making a serious argument. 
Like what? <laughs> well, like, she, she's she, she, she's not. Megan McCain's not making a serious argument. But well, there Megan are people who think like that. No, well, let's do it people, all. There are people. There are people that. Uh, I mean, I don't. Listen, I don't, there are people that use that as a red herring, right? Sure. There are people that say, there are people that say, Hey, wow, that's what you always hear. Well, how far does it go? Well, like, like how, how, how far does it go? Um, I will say this before I get into what I'm saying, how do you feel about George Washington? I mean, George Washington's got to go. We got to get him mm. off our money. We, I mean, I'm not going to change Washington, D.C. or the state of Washington or those names or anything like that. Again, George Washington University. Yeah. You got. Oh, George Washington University. So th- this that's a I'll little bit you. of a tough one. This is why I'll tell you. I'll tell, uh, the reason why I bring up George Washington is this. He's got to go. George Washington <laughs> is one of the most dedicated slavers in American history. Mm-hmm. There was a law that was passed um, in the North uh, effectively to abolish slavery. It said, once a slave had worked for you for six months, they were free. Okay. Um, George Washington would have his slaves like every so often, maybe like in the fifth month or something like that. The slaves would take a trip below the Mason-Dixon line, hang out for a day, and then come back up to reset the clock. Okay. Not only that, but he was involved in slave catching as well. He was dedicated to catching runaway slaves and things like that. George Washington truly and with all of his heart, there's a fantastic New York Times article on it, believed in slavery. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So uh, knowing that about him, uh, I have trouble Thinking of George Washington as a great man, I do. Because when I think of George Washington as a great man, I think of a black person somewhere, a black woman being raped, a black baby being snatched from its mother, Mm -hmm. uh, a a black man having his hands cut off, his eyes gouged out. I think about all of those things. Okay. Okay. The problem with all of these things is that America has indulged for far too long in great man history, (laughs) in the history of individuals that they say are above reproach and represent some signature and central virtue that in some way represents all Americans. George Washington never told a lie. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, George Washington never told a lie. All of these guys, right? They were all bigger than life figures that were able to overcome these huge, huge obstacles to make this utopia that we know as America. The reality is that all of these people were men that engaged in unspeakable brutality against people. Yeah. And that brutality did not stop when they died. The system that they built existed for hundreds of years after and still exists. And all we seem comfortable doing is building on to that system that they established in just different and clandestine ways. So here's my thing to Meghan McCain or to anyone else. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) I 
couldn't care less if they changed the name of Yale. I couldn't care less if they changed the name of New York. Am I about to be pressed about the name of New York? No. Is is there a difference between the the New York and a pitch and a statue of Andrew Jackson in the middle of the French Quarter in New Orleans? Yes. Yeah, there is a difference. One is the name of a city, okay? One is the name of a university. Um the other was erected specifically as a monument to white supremacy. What you guys have to understand is all of these Confederate statues that they were, that were erected, they were not erected like initially following the war. They were erected sometime after reconstruction when white supremacy and the Ku Klux Klan were gaining a foothold in the South. They are not anything to do with the history of the Confederacy, they are shrines and worship temples to the idea of white supremacy. If you, if you, if you, if there's a statue in Memphis of Nathan Bedford Forrest, that is the man who created the Ku Klux Klan. I think it's gone now. But when those things, by the way, Forrest Gump's granddad. Okay. Watch Forrest Gump, his granddad, Forrest Gump, lovable, but black best friend named after Nathan Bedford Forrest. Uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> did not know it's, that. It's, okay. It's, they, they do it in the movie. It's, it's a, it's a wild thing. It's a wild thing that happens in the movie. It's wild. They, they just, we just glossed over that. It's wild. Yeah, we did. Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, he says, Hey, okay. Hey. And his mom, Sally Field, God rest her soul, uh, in the movie. Not in the movie. Life. I was like, <laughs> um, uh, just kind of tells a story about it, you know, that people do fucked up things sometimes. I'm just, it's whatever. Uh, so what I'm saying is, look, I'm not going to get pulled into the red herring argument of that, right? Because you know what I would tell Megan, uh, Megan McCain? Who get fuck it? I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not like, pull, like, uh, I'm not pulled like, into her argument, but I think like, that there's... It's like what I'm saying is that if you think that I'm going to lose one minute of sleep over the prospect of changing the name of Yale, like you think I'm going to lose one minute of sleep like people are like, oh, we're gonna blow down Mount Rushmore. I don't give a fuck about Mount Rushmore. That's the thing about black people. We d- we got two bigger. We have bigger things to worry about than whether or think- not these names are changed. Yo. To answer your question, yes, I can see the difference in some things, but yes, we. At the end of the day, I personally don't care, but I also think that that's that is black people. We are detached from this country in a way that white people aren't because of what we've experienced, what our history is in this country. It doesn't represent and mean to us the same thing that it does to them. Like you're collecting. I don't don't think it means that to them. No, no, they, yes. Yeah. No, no, not New York, not Yale, but no, those people like Megan McCain. Yes. Yo, they capping Megan McCain, Megan McCain. Don't give a, Fuck about the name of Yale. No, Meghan I know McCain that. That's is, not what I'm Meghan, saying. Megan McCain is gaslighting us. No, I know she doesn't care about that. It's the thought of them, of you taking away their things. It's the thought of being told what they can and can't do. You're that's taking what away. they care about. That's what I'm saying. No, You're I right. agree with you. That's yeah. that's what I mean by that. But that's because you you look at this country in a way that we don't. We're detached from this country. In, in, in a way that like they really do have this pride. There's a there's a certain pride that they have. Not about Yale, not about New York, 
but the things that she's collecting in her home, like Theodore Roosevelt, which because she was upset because they're taking away that um, the statue in New York. So it, it, listen, you guys, tear I it wanna, off down. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, you don't you, you don't have to like you could like you you know tear down the Confederate generals. Cool, don't change that. Listen, I want Americans to understand something. We've never reconciled the history. The history is holding us back. When I hear you talk about, when I hear you bring up straw man arguments and all of these things to defend reasons why we shouldn't take down a statue of Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis or Nathan Bedford Forrest or Beauregard or Stonewall Jackson, when I hear you do all of these, jump through all of these hoops, it's a fuck you. Like it's, it, 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 we, we can't, like we can't. I can't get to that point with you. I understand what you're really saying. What you're really saying is how much do you niggas want? And you know what? I got an answer for you. We want it all. Like we want every word of the constitution to apply to us. Yeah. We want every freedom. We we want Every bit of opportunity and success that is guaranteed to us. We don't want to be triggered all the time. Killed by police. We want it all. And we deserve it all. That's the thing. We don't just want it. it. We deserve it. We deserve it. I don't have any. That was. I I felt you on that. Jesus I felt you Christ. on that. You really Megan, worked up this. You really worked I'm, up this podcast over one, one subject, subject or another. But I get it. I get Meg, it. Meg, hey man, nobody like Megan McCain is one of those ones that can get to me. I, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I, this is problematic. I respected John McCain, and a lot of people did. I respected John McCain, and at least Megan is honest about it. But like all of this straw man shit, this is the stuff that makes me angry. I don't have time for this. We got really stuff like fuck Yale. Like, you know, you know what they, this is what I would, this is the deal I'll make with Yale. I'll make a deal with Yale. What's up? This is the deal. I'll make this deal with Yale. Yale can keep the name. Yale can keep the name. They got to get their black enrollment up to 25%. By the year 2022, 25% of us in Yale, 25%. And they have to have a black band. Not a black band. All black band. band. (laughs) Love it. They won't know what to do with those Ivy League games. Can you see them marching out on the field? No parking, baby. (laughs) No parking on a dance floor. I want to hear them play that. I want to hear them play neck. I want to hear them play Thuggish Ruggish Bone because Southern Band be blowing. Like all of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yale, if Yale does that, they can keep the name. Like, empower somebody, Yale. Okay. Um, it is now time for Unexpected Ally of the Week. Uh, I just realized that I didn't even think of an Unexpected Ally of the Week. Uh, I started to be really controversial with it. Um, uh, okay. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I was going to go, <laughs> I was, I was going to go with the noose itself. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please. I was going to go with the news itself because it got a conversation started, right? You know what I mean? But that's not right because it, that you shouldn't make light of nooses in terms of things like that. But unexpected <laughs> ally of the week. Who was your unexpected ally of the week? Did you have one? I do. It, what, Very briefly. Who, sure. Mary Elizabeth Taylor. Do you know who that is? No. 
I had no idea who she was either. She was the Assistant Secretary of State for Legislative Affairs. She was the highest ranking African-American in the Trump administration. Oh, I heard this. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading this. She delivered a stinging rebuke to President Trump's handling of racial unrest, announcing her resignation and accusing the president of confronting the country's recent upheaval in ways that she said, quote, cut sharply against my core and convictions, end quote. I thought this was powerful because one, I did not know who she was. We all know that Trump has very little African-American representation within his administration. This is someone who has a history of working as an aide. I think she's even worked for Mitch McConnell. And she is deemed in high regard by Mike Pompeo. That's who she worked Mm. with. That's who she actually sent her letter of resignation into. So all these people who want to act like Trump is down for black people. This is a person who has worked with him, who is in his administration, who is, and this, and this happened on the heels of him signing the executive order. It happened. Mm. So I'm a little bit behind. I'm giving it to her this week, but this really happened last week, right after or during that, or maybe even that same day, she decided to resign based on what she's seeing from President Trump and his actions mm-hmm. cut to her core, left her position. That says a lot about what President Trump is not doing for black mm-hmm. people in this country. She is our look, ally of the week. Maybe she'll come on look, over to the other side. Maybe she will. Look, I do have one. I, not, I thought about it. John oh, okay. Bolton. John Bolton. John Bolton. <laughs> John Bolton, unexpected ally of the week. John Bolton taking Trump to task, man. John Bolton. I feel like John Bolton trying to square up with Trump. But he, like, kinda, he, he is, uh, in words at least. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what well, I will say about John Bolton is we could have used all of this heat during the impeachment hearings, uh, John Bolton. Uh, we could have used all of this. I mean, and what he said during the impeachment hearings is that if he was subpoenaed, um, that he, he would come and that. testify. But I mean, there were all kinds of reasons that the Democrats did not want to subpoena him to come testify, uh, some of them. But, you know, if, listen, God damn it, all of you people out here that feel like it's your American duty to expose not only the dysfunction, but the incompetence of the president of the United States, please do it before you got a book to sell. <laughs> like, we, we need you at, uh, at the point of attack is when we need you. Um, now it's good that John Bolton is like, it, that the book is coming out now. Maybe it'll catch wind, uh, catch fire during the summer. Uh, I know that the, the Trump administration is going crazy trying to stop it, but I don't think they're going to be able to. Yes. A federal um, judge already, they have already tried to file something and a federal judge denied that. Denied it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, anybody that's having a crisis of conscience, and by the way, I think that we're going to see more of these crises, crises of conscience as the president's poll numbers continue to go down, which is something mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about uh, next week on higher learning. But uh, as Trump's boat starts to take on water, you're going to hear from more politicians, more Republican politicians that say, um, I can no longer be a part of the America that this president has built. Yeah, I want you. I want you guys to remember those guys, and be able to di- di- differentiate between what makes political sense for them and what makes sense for the nation. Because a lot of that is not going to have anything to do with what actually is good for America, or the psyche, or the morality, or the conscience of America. What it's going to have to do with is who they think they can win with politically. Mm, that's a good point. 
Um, what you, oh, did your no, dad no, just call? No, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything towards that. Oh, th- did, That's you, true. did your dad, did your dad just call? Cause you, you kind of like. My dad did not just call. I know you want him. So he'll, how he'll are you going to. He'll come on the show soon enough. Well, now me and him have way more to talk about. Like we don't just have to talk. Like we don't just have to talk about. Cause we talked about this before. Rachel's dad's a federal judge. I want to talk to him about what it's been like to be a black federal judge in central Texas. Right. That's an incredible accomplishment. Incredible Thanks. accomplishment. Uh, yeah, like what a, what a guy, but I also now want to talk about the schism in the Lindsay family. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like the schism in the Lindsay family, like what's going on over at the Lindsay residence? <laughs> what if, what if your parents don't want you to come home because, cause what, you know, they having a good time together. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying it's like. Maybe, maybe I don't, don't know what you. I don't know what you're trying to say, but I don't think just, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I like it. <laughs> maybe they like. Maybe they like. Nah, baby, tell Rachel to chill for a little while. They got Barry White playing the whole nice going down. Well, that's it for us here on Higher Learning Thought Warriors. Thank you so much for joining us for another week. I am Rachel Lindsay. I'm Van Lindsay. <laughs> Peace. We'll see y'all next week.